probably was seven or eight years ago, Grace and I were on a trip, and we were traveling through the great state of Pennsylvania on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Turnpikes are wonderful in that you don't have a lot of people egressing onto them because there's not a lot of places to come on to a turnpike. There's a downside to that. If you are running low on gas, because in those days, I haven't, I don't think we've ever gone back. We were so traumatized. Uh, in those days, there were only rest stops along the way between exits, which were ever eight or 900 miles. Well, maybe not quite that far. But we were running low on gas. And we both kind of sighed a sigh of relief because we saw a sign that 50 miles up the road was a rest stop that had a gas station. So we're kind of rocking along, everything's cool. Until we get to the sign right before the station and it has one of those ugly orange signs with black letters, closed. They were doing remodeling. And we were beginning to really pray by that point. And we knew that there were no more exits anytime soon. But we were praying there was going to be another stop that would actually be open with gas. And uh, you know how these days your car's computer will tell you how many miles you have left to empty. And uh, I don't know that I've ever run this close. I run it close sometimes. But I believe, if I remember right, it was eight miles left to where the computer was saying we would be stranded beside of the road when we got to the rest stop that this time the station was open. <laughs> the thought did cross my mind. If we really trust God, what if we didn't stop and just see would he give us supernatural ability to keep going? And reality quickly made me get out of the spirit and go to the station. But for us, we were determined that it was going to be okay because we were able to go the distance. As we're starting this new year of 2023, I think it's fitting that for these first several weeks, we talk about that subject of going the distance in life. This is not just about growing old. This is about in what we are involved in, whatever you're engaged in right now with work, whatever may be special areas, the, the 21 days of prayer and fasting that are coming up. In everything that we are engaged in, there is generally some kind of a time measurement and the question is, will we go the distance for whatever that is that we're involved in? 
And I really believe that God wants us as believers to go the distance for the things that he calls us to. And at the same time, yes, there is the bigger picture of I want to finish the race well when it's time to transition into eternity. So it isn't an either or, it's an and both when we begin to think about this subject. But uh, Pastor Grace came up with a version of this uh, verse from the, the Passion Translation that I really like. Uh, I have the version Bible that I frequently use, and I like it because it's got so many different translations, but somebody needs to reach out to Craig and his crew and tell them they don't yet have the book of Isaiah in the Passion Translation. So I want to read this to you this morning because I just like the way it says it. But those who entwine their hearts with Yahweh will experience divine strength. They will rise up on soaring wings and fly like eagles, run their race without growing weary, and walk through life without giving up. I want us to just kind of take the different elements of this verse, and I want us to just open those up and unpack What is it that God's saying to us through this promise that he gave through the prophet Isaiah of what he'll do when we connect to him? And and it's so important because he says he'll give us an entwined heart full of divine strength. It's so important that we entwine our hearts with God. It's hard for me to believe that it's been almost 10 years since Grace and I stood here at the front of this church and committed the rest of our lives to each other. And uh, I, I think about where we were in those days, and we had made pretty fast decisions, especially for her being a person who's an accountant. Uh, I'm not sure she counted all the costs, but I, you know that was her issue, not mine. And uh, I was happy, and she was too. But I think over these 10 years, and it's interesting because in those few months as we got to know each other before we got married, our hearts begin to come together. And they begin to be entwined. Now, 10 years later, interestingly, our hearts are still together. But I would say there's far more things that hold us together. Because through these 10 years, our hearts have been entwined. One of those things was taking the journey on the Pennsylvania Turnpike together. The experiences of life, both the good and the bad, when you do those together, they have a way in entwining you. And God says to us, if we entwine our hearts with Yahweh, if we go to the God who we have multiple names that we attach to that name Yahweh from the Old Testament that give us characteristics of who he is in our life. We say it Jehovah in our uh, English understanding. Jehovah Jireh, for example. He's our provider. 
And every one of those names that you use with Jehovah, that you use with understanding of who Yahweh is, help us to understand characteristic of what he is to us and how he functions within our lives. And so he says, when we entwine our hearts with him, we're going to experience his divine strength. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing that I want you to really wrap your heads around from the understanding of Jewish tradition is that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. One of the provisions in the Jewish law and in the Jewish culture that they lived out the law in a very practical way was this concept of a kinsman redeemer. And that really was a male relative who took the responsibility to help another relative who was in need or danger. The two most prominent names that we would think of from the biblical understanding would be Boaz and the story of Ruth and then Jesus. And uh, what it means is this, a kinsman redeemer, one of the things they do is if someone in your family has been murdered with manslaughter, they avenge the death of that person. They take responsibility for avenging the death of that person. I cannot imagine what it would be to be the fathers of those students that were killed in Idaho. I've noticed several quotes from one of the dads. I can't even begin for a moment to fully identify with what he is feeling. But I guarantee you, he wants, if the young man who's been arrested is responsible, I guarantee you he wants him to be fully and duly punished for what he did to his daughter and her friends. And a kinsman redeemer was the one who would actually make sure that happened. It wasn't just in that case that they got involved. They they would be a deliverer for someone if they were in a bind, if they were in a situation they couldn't manage. They would rescue them if they were in a place that someone needed to engage on their behalf for them to be able to be set free from whatever it was. And there were many cases, and this was true in the case of Boaz and Ruth, where literally they took responsibility to redeem the property of a kinsman who had died and in doing so then if there was a widow they would also bring redemption and this was such a strong law that if they redeemed the widow they were responsible to make sure that they gave opportunity for her to have children that would carry on the name of the relative not their own name it's quite a commitment any of you who have been a step-parent, you know that that's a challenge, that's a responsibility. And yet that was part of what the kinsman redeemer did. They took care to treat them as if they were their own. And the story of you, if you've never read the story of Ruth, go home and read it this week. If you've read it, it may not hurt to go read it again. In just the amazing detail that Boaz went to <coughs> to make sure that she was redeemed and that he lived out the responsibility of a kinsman redeemer. What even makes that story more precious is 
the person who was to take that responsibility was whoever the relative was that was closest to the relative who had died. They were the first person to take that responsibility. And so when Ruth ended up in the fields of Boaz to gather the leftover of the, the crops as they were being raised, and he began to feel this responsibility, the first thing he checked was the county records. And he found out that there was someone who was actually closer than him. So he went to him and he said, uh, will you be willing to fulfill this responsibility to our family? Can you imagine how Ruth must have felt when the person said, you know, hate that that happened, but I just can't take that on right now. And Boaz, who was older, Boaz, who really could have easily said, boy, I just don't have space to do this, said, if you won't, I will. And so Boaz didn't think of himself, he thought of Ruth. And we need to understand that God has done that for us through Jesus. Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. And it's such a powerful thing that it literally did cost his life to redeem us. And yet because of who he is, both God and man, he supernaturally was raised again from the dead. And that resurrection power has now been imparted to us because he is our kinsman redeemer. So it's important that we intertwine our heart with that understanding and recognize that the divine strength you need for whatever you're going to face is already taken care of because Jesus has already obligated himself to be your kinsman redeemer. It isn't a situation where you go to him and he says, let me think about it. You know, I've really got too many Christians and some of those Pentecostal people are just such a pain to deal with. I don't think I want any more. He never does that. He takes us on where we are and it's already been provided for and he has so much ability that he can handle whatever you're facing. Whatever's overwhelming you right now, it doesn't phase Jesus and his ability. It concerns him for you that you don't fully get what he will do for you. But he's never looked and said, this one's too big a challenge. This one's going to be too hard. He redeems us. The other thing we have to do if we're going to get aligned in our heart with God's divine strength is we have to identify and overcome strength stealers. Do you ever have things that take the strength out of you? I love to do yard work. But I will tell you, there were a couple of days this past summer when I thought I was in Texas instead of Indiana, it was so stinking hot. And I made the mistake of doing yard work in the middle of that heat. And I want to tell you, heat has a way of zapping your energy. It steals your strength. And there are so many ways, both physically 
and emotionally, and it can be spiritually as well, that the enemy tries to steal our strength because he doesn't want us to fully rely on Jesus, and he doesn't want what Jesus would do for us to take place. So what are some of those things? And I've got a pretty good laundry list here, but I'm sure it doesn't cover everything. Here's one of the strength sealers in our lives. Have you ever heard the word complain? Do you know anybody that's a complainer? If they're sitting beside you, don't point at them. (laughs) But, But there are some people who just complain. You know, today I look outside and the sun is beautiful. But I promise you, there are people who looked out and said, it is so cold today because they couldn't see the sunshine for what the cold did to them and they had to complain about it. And we tend to complain about the things that are a bother to us. Boy, tied right in with that is another one. Worry. I wish that I had a dollar for everything I ever worried about that worked out because I'd be a pretty wealthy man right now because that's been one I've been challenged with in life is worrying, worrying, worrying and it's crazy how many times that whatever it is that I've worried about works out in ways that I couldn't have even thought possible because God has ability to do that. Another one, double-minded. Have you ever been with someone who can't make up their mind? I tell you, used to when I was in sales, that was one of the most frustrating things was to have a customer who would come in and they couldn't decide. For several years, I sold shoes when I was young. And what I learned to do was I learned that if I was waiting on some customers, and this is going to sound so sexist, but generally these were females, I literally remember one day where I had a lady that had 10 pairs of shoes. And I remember what that was like. Some of you are going, so is that a problem? (laughs) Because every one of those pairs of shoes she had to try on, she had to look in the mirror. She wanted to know what I thought. I liked them all. And so she was trying to decide, and I said to her, they all look so good on you. I was a good salesman. They all look so good on you, and there's going to be so many different things that you're going to need shoes for. What if you just bought all of them? She did. Double-mindedness. Laziness. My mom used to say, ask the lazy person how to do something because they'll know the easiest way. I don't know why she frequently asked me what to do. (laughs) Busyness. Do you know how often the urgent kills the important in our lives? We're caught up in the things that are so urgent in front of us while the important is off to the side, withering away. Instead of saying, the urgent can wait I'm going to do what really matters. I'm going to make that my priority. Distractions, well, that's a whole nother thing. Distractions, any of you have issues with short attention span? Squirrel. (laughs) 
fear, doubt, unbelief, urges that come in because of our natural uh, things that we just enjoy, our appetites, ambitions, anger, jealousy, unforgiveness. That's a pretty good laundry list, but there's probably another 20 that you could name. All of those can become things that will steal your strength. You will become weary. And that's why it's so important to recognize those and to stop them, to nip them in the bud before they have an opportunity to begin to grow into the full potential of what they'll do. And then make this determination. This is a new year. This is a time people make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to tell you, do something that's stronger than a resolution. Determine that with God's help, you're going to take on his priorities for this year in your life. And you're going to make those your priorities. And then in that determination, determine that you're going to live from the supernatural in the midst of of the natural. So what happens? You're going to get hit with something this week that is overwhelming in the natural. Guarantee it. Okay, I'm going to use an old one here. Pastor, be more positive with us. I'm positive you're going to get hit with something this week in the natural that's going to be overwhelming. You have a decision to make. Are you going to respond to it from your flesh? Are you going to respond to it in the natural? Are you going to remember that living inside of you is the very life of Christ? And that you are supernaturally empowered and that you don't do anything until supernaturally you understand what you're supposed to do. You hold steady. You don't make a decision until you understand this is what Jesus would do. This is the right thing. This isn't just a clever phrase. It is a reality that in my life, the supernatural is where I live from. I live in the natural world. I don't deny the natural realities. I don't ignore the natural realities. But I recognize that inside of me is this supernatural power. If you need to do it this week, Go buy a t-shirt with a big S on it and wear it under whatever else you're wearing this week as a reminder that inside of you is the greatest super person who's ever walked this planet. And he's inside of you. You have more power than any Marvel character we imagine. The difference is your power is real. Your power is sustainable. And your power is constantly being renewed. That's what it means to entwine your heart so that you are full of divine strength. The pressures are not going to go away. We live in a natural world that's pretty messed up right now. A natural world that has a lot of challenges. Dear God, it took our Congress 15 votes to elect a Speaker of the House. Unprecedented in history. That's how messed up our country is today. 
But I'm here to tell you, I'm tired of talking about how messed up our country is because I am too blessed that God let me live in the USA. And that greater is he that's in me than anybody who's sitting in Washington right now. And there's some of them that he's empowering. And there's other of those that he's going to take authority and they're going to say, why did I do that? Because the Holy Spirit's going to work. That's what I choose to believe about this year. Is the economy in trouble? In the natural, maybe. But I'm plugged into a supernatural economy that's never once had a recession. God has never once said, we're going to have to cut back. I'm going to raise interest rates on Christians. He doesn't do that. That's not how his economy works. And you're a part of that economy. Live in the divine strength that you've been given. So let's look. There's really three levels of elements in this story that I want us to talk about. And, And the first of those is rising up to soar and go the distance. He says that we'll rise up on soaring wings and fly like eagles. You know, it's amazing because eagles fly above other birds and other, other ways of, of transportation that uses the air. God has equipped them in such a way that they rise above it all. And so they can go the distance. God says to you, when you have my divine strength, look at an eagle. Because spiritually you have the same tenacity inside of you that will cause you to soar above everything that would drag you down, that would bring you down. You're going to soar above it because you fly on eagles' wings that are my wings. And then he tells us that we are to run the race without growing weary. Just determine that you're going to run a triumphant race. Oh, I just don't know, man. How can things work out? Pastor, you don't know the horrible things that have happened in my life. Keep running the race. If you need new shoes, get new shoes. How beautiful are the feet of those who are shod with the gospel of peace. Determine that you are going to run the race. That you're not going to drop out. That you're not going to halfway through say, I can't do this. Somebody is going to run faster than me. Don't look at all those things. Determine that you have divine strength and the divine strength is what is going to empower you so that you can be triumphant in the race God's called you to. And then this is the other part of that that becomes so important is to understand that we walk through life without giving up. The thing the enemy will work hard at doing is trying to steal your hope. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God's told us that he's going to give us a future and hope. So that regardless of what happens, we know that we are going to make it. And what that will then do is that will help us live far less of an up and down life. Do you know people who are one week on top of it? They, they are, are spiritually schizophrenic. You know, they're, they're all good. 
There's times that they are then so low in their spirit. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't have mental illness in the spiritual realm. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are people who can have, you can have mental challenges when you're serving God. But one of the things that you need to bring yourself back to, if you're in the middle of a low, if you deal with depression, if you deal with anxiety, if you deal with these things, don't condemn yourself, but recognize that the source of that is the enemy. And that the realm he's troubling you in is your mind and your emotions, but you have a spirit that's greater than your mind or emotions, and in your spirit, there is no mental illness because your spirit is created in the image of God. And God is not mentally ill. If you've got physical things that are overwhelming you right now, they're real in your body. But there is no sickness in the spirit. Your spirit is whole when your body is struggling. And that's why Corinthians, Paul tells us the final enemy is death. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Death has been swallowed up with the resurrection power of Jesus. And it's inside of you. And so you walk the race that no matter what is happening, that would make you give up and get on the sidelines. And they can be very real. Don't misunderstand me. I'm in no way minimizing what it is to go through extreme physical loss. What it is to go through struggles with depression, anxiety, fear. When I was a young man, I lived constantly struggling with unbelievable fear. I'm here to tell you, I determined to believe the Word of God. It was a process of years, not days, weeks, or months. But I'm here to tell you, there was a point one day when I realized fear was not doing to me what it used to do anymore. Because I would come to exactly what I'm preaching to you this morning. I would come to the place where in my spirit, I would realize I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And that power and love gives me a sound mind. And so I chose to continue to live from the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to continue to walk with the direction of the Spirit. Does that mean that every day was just a cheery day? No, because I was still dealing with the natural realm struggles, but I never quit walking in the Spirit. That's the secret. Whatever you do, walk in the Spirit. What does the enemy do to you? He lies. He, he takes whatever it is that besets you. He takes whatever it is that distracts you. And he puts it there and insidiously tries to destroy you with that. And if that isn't enough, what does he then do? He then tells you how bad you are because you struggle with that. If people really knew what you struggle with, if they knew some of the things you did this week why you wouldn't be received by the people in the church and, and how do you think God would love you when you're as bad as you are? Quit listening to the lies of the enemy. Call him out. 
What you've got to begin to do is when he starts telling you about your past, quit listening and start talking. Have you ever been with someone who doesn't listen to you at all because they're busy talking? You pretend you're that person for a few minutes. And when the enemy of your soul is saying to you, you're defeated, you're terrible, you struggle with these things that you struggle with, and you're awful, you just stop and say, quit telling me about my past. And let me tell you about your future. Jesus overcame you at Calvary. And he rose out of hell triumphant. And he holds the keys to sin, death, and the grave. He's ascended and even right now he's at the right hand of the Father while you're down here as his snake on the ground. And he has already so destroyed you because he's crushed your head even though it bruised his heel your head is crushed. Satan, let me tell you a little more. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to end up being bound for a thousand years. And then you're going to get back out for just a little while. And then let's talk about eternity. You're going to spend eternity in the very pits of hell, in torment. Now here's another thing don't ever forget. It's highly unlikely that Satan has been personally assigned to you. Don't ever forget this. God's omnipresent. Satan can only be in one place at a time. He's a fallen angel. He's not God. So he is very, it's very likely he's not in Fort Wayne. Some of you are saying, yeah, he rode to church with me in the car this morning. He drove. No. It's highly unlikely that the lies I'm talking about were put in your head directly by Satan himself. It's one of his demons that's been assigned to this region and been assigned to harass believers. But I'm going to tell you, if you need to get a good image, just think of E.T. Because that's probably what they look like, just a little imp. And I want you to begin to see that. And I'm going to tell you this, when you begin to say the things that I just said to you of talking about the future of Satan... You're going to make Satan shake in his shoes. But you take some little imp that's taken assignments from some principality or power that's taken assignments from some ruler and authority that's taken assignments from Satan himself. That little imp has very little power. You're going to scare them so fast, the bejeebies are going to just be scared out of them. When you walk in your authority, instead of walking in the fear and unbelief and the degradation that the enemy is trying to place on your life. It's important that you walk and don't faint. Have you ever known anybody that just talks incessantly? And they stayed at your house? And finally, you're relieved because it was 1.30 in the morning and they said, well, I guess we need to go to bed, don't we? And you're going, uh-huh. And then you get up the next morning and you don't even have time to get a cup of coffee and they're awake. And what's the first words that come out of their mouth? As I was saying last night when we went to bed, and then it resumes full steam. 
That's the same way the enemy wants to haunt you. But you instead become that obnoxious voice to him. And when you go to bed at night, you go to bed talking the victory of Jesus that's inside of you. And when you wake up the next morning, just in case that little demon is still hanging around anywhere, you say, by the way, as I was saying to you last night, Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and the power of sin is broken and you're going to spend eternity in hell. Have a good day. Listen, we have got to become proactive in how we live it out instead of just giving in to the pressure the enemy puts on us. There's another way I want you to look at these three truths. And I want you to hear this this morning because I think there's power in this. And, and that's how do you identify the elements for a long-haul success? And while they're listed in Isaiah 40:31, in, in a way that starts out with a soaring and then the triumphant race and walking the walk, I want you to see them from the other spectrum. Turn it around with me for just a minute. I want you to see the progression of living this life from an understanding of the Old Testament tabernacle. Because the Old Testament tabernacle gives us a picture of how we walk, run, and soar. The Old Testament tabernacle had the outer court that was outside the actual temple. The holy place was inside where the priests served and, and functioned in their duties. And then the Holy of Holies was that sacred place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the very presence of God was, that was separated by a curtain, and only once a year could the high priest go in to make atonement for sins. It was totally separated. And so when you look at this, I want you to recognize the outer court is where we walk. That's the place where we are introduced and become immersed into the salvation relationship with Christ. Salvation is an experience, but it's also a process. Some people say, so do you believe in eternal security or do you believe in, uh, do you believe in the Arminian view of this? And my answer is simple, yes. I believe without any doubt I am saved. I also believe I am being saved, and I believe I shall be saved. And every day I learn more about what it means to be saved. Salvation takes on whole new meanings to me from what I understood 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago because I'm walking in that. So I begin to understand what Jesus was saying when he said to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you look at walking with God, it's this outer court. It's, it's more in touch with where the rest of the world is. You're not yet inside the holiness of the temple. You're still out where the world's affecting you. But it's in that position that you learn how to walk in the fullness of God because God's presence goes far beyond the temple. It's just that in the outer court, you still have the effects and you must learn how to walk in the understanding of the salvation you've been given. What I'm talking to you about today is explanation of how to walk in your salvation. How do you live it out at another level? How do you take it to a new place in who God has called you to be? Then if we look at the temple, 
or the, the tabernacle, the wilderness, the holy place is where we run. That's where we come into community fellowship and the unity of believers as we are ever increasing the depth of our spiritual life. I will tell you, one of the sneaky things the enemy did through COVID was shut churches down from live services. And I'm not here criticizing anyone and those of you who are online, I think, God, you're a part of this and we have the technology for that to be, for our family to be beyond who can be in these four walls. But one of the things that we still have to figure out is how do we build community? Because God intended for us to be in community. And, and it's more than just us having some kind of connection. I'm thankful for podcasts. I'm thankful for the fact that we can be online with service. I'm thankful with what we can do through the power of social media. But we have to be able to walk in relationship. And here's one of the things that has happened to us. I'm going to sit down for you for this one just a minute. We are people who are too busy. As you go into 2023, hear me. It's time if you want to grow where you're going to run with God. You're going to have to lose some of the urgency that controls your life. You know, 30 years ago, commitment to being a believer meant you became a part of a church and you were at Sunday school on Sunday morning. You went to the morning worship service. Sunday night in a lot of churches was evangelistic night. And if you were a good Baptist, it was training union before the service. And then Wednesday night was Bible study, usually fellowship dinner in a lot of churches and ministry for the kids. And furthermore, you went every week. Now hear me. I'm not proposing that that's where we need to go back to because the world has changed. And you have to adjust to where the world is. But it is time that we begin to make the things of God priority. I would challenge you if in the past two or three years, your rhythm of being involved with the house of God is once a month. What if you upped your game to twice a month? If you sometimes do Bible study, what if you decided that you're going to do that every day? And that's a place where the podcasts are wonderful. There's great opportunities that every day you can be fed and you can grow. And then who are the people that you're in close relationship with that are the iron sharpening iron within your life and that you're involved in fellowship with? You know what our problem is? Commitment in America today is based on the BBD principle. Write it down. It's in the book of hesitations. 
we base what we choose to do in our life based on this understanding of BBD. I'll be there. I'm going to do that if a bigger, better deal doesn't happen. How many times have you had plans of what you're going to do and at the last minute something came up and you thought, oh, I'd rather do that. And you do it. Do you understand what the enemy has done through that? I'm not trying to put legalism on anybody this morning. This is principle, not legalism. What he's done through that is he's caused us to shift what we make as priority to what makes us feel good because we're part of a consumer culture. Instead of looking at a deeper understanding and saying, how can I live in relational environment that causes that to be more important than what it is that's going to give me pleasure for the moment. I'm not telling you to quit doing things that are pleasurable. I'm not telling you to sell your your iPhones and your iPads. I'm just saying it's time we put them in check. Because when we do begin to get this straight, then we're going to be able to run, and that's where the holy place is. Because the reason this is important and why it's the holy place is this. If I read my Bible correctly, Jesus is the head. The church is his body. And if you say, oh, you know, I have this thing with me and Jesus. How many times do you spend your real life with anybody that's just ahead. All your relationships involve people who have bodies. When you say, I'm in relationship with Jesus, we're like this, but I don't need His church. You know what you're saying to Him? The body that you gave your life for, the bride that you honor so strongly is meaningless to me. Because I've got you. I'm going to tell you, until the church in America wakes up to the truth I'm speaking to you this morning, we're going to continue to have the problems we have in our nation. And revival will come when we as church begin to live in the manner I'm talking about. It begins to be our priority. And it means that we become plugged into a body that we become a part of. That we express that love. I love LifeBridge Church. I love our family. And when we begin to understand that, then we begin to live in a way where we begin to understand Jesus is the truth. Everything I've just said to you is truth. If it's painful truth, it's because you're spending a lot more time in the courtyard than you are in the holy place. Because the holy place will not happen without what I'm talking about. And then the Holy of Holies is where we soar. That's the very presence of power of Christ to live from the very life of Christ in us. Jesus is the life. The whole Jesus is my life. That's why I need the body. But I do need the head. I do need to live from who he is. And when I'm inside the holy place, then I can fully experience the holiness of the head of the body because I haven't detached it from the body. I haven't tried to attain it without living in relationship with the body. 
But when I bring it together, now I'm in a position where I truly can get to know Jesus for who he is. And I can get in touch with his life that's inside of me that empowers me and causes me to live to the fullness of who he's called us to be. Because Jesus is the life. He is the way, it's the outer court where we walk. He is the truth, that's the holy place where we run. And he is the life, that's where we soar in the spirit dimension. I believe God wants life bridge to go the distance this year. And when I say that, I am talking about us collectively. But more importantly, I'm talking about us individually. How are you going to go the distance this year in your relationship with God? Is it going to be just another year? Are there going to be some high places in it, but there's going to be a lot more low places than there are high places? You say, how can I not have that happen? Well, if you need to go back and watch this sermon a hundred times till you get it, the secret is in the sauce I just gave you this morning. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And it's time for us as believers to go the distance and not give up. It's been interesting because I've watched some examples of what I'm talking about this week. I've mentioned this earlier. It's so interesting that it took 15 ballots for the Republican Party to finally work it out so that they could elect a Speaker of the House. Never, unprecedented for it to go more than two or to even go to. But there were such diverse opinions, particularly in a very small group of people in the party, values that they said, we're not going to give up. And a man who said, I believe I'm supposed to be the Speaker of the House, I'm not going to give up. And what happened before it was over with? After that 15th vote, his perseverance had paid off and his willingness to sit down and say, let's work it out, paid off. I don't know what's yet to come, but here's what I do know. I don't know much about McCarthy, but I have gained new respect for him because he was determined to go the distance because he really believes he's supposed to be the Speaker of the House in this Congress. I'm not telling you to become a Republican. I'm not telling you to become a fan of Kevin McCarthy. What I am telling you, it's time we live our lives with that kind of determination. That when there's people that we have struggles with, that we do everything in our power. Now, there were some people he never convinced There was one guy that was willing to get into a fist fight over it with another guy. It was pretty sad. This was our Congress. You're not going to win everybody over, but what are you doing to do your part? And what is your determination that no matter what anybody else does, you're going to do that old song we sang when I was a kid, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow the world behind me, the cross before me, still I will follow. The truth of that old song is the gospel. We've got to determine that. And then our world was rocked. Monday night, I'd gotten finished with the day and 
I decided to just turn on the TV and see was there a game on regular TV. I get frustrated sometimes because we won't spend the money for ESPN and some of the other channels. And lo and behold, I was blessed. It was on regular TV, except when it came on, the game had been delayed. And I sat and watched commentators struggling to say something different than they had said five minutes before for an hour. While literally there were people that were doing everything in their power to preserve the life of Dahmer Hamlin. And for eight minutes, Denny Kellington, an assistant athletic trainer for the Bills, administered CPR and used a defibrillator. And finally, they got to a point 30 minutes later where they felt they could put him in an ambulance to take him to the hospital. Unprecedented in American football because they're supposed to take him off the field and then start the game again. My understanding is that Coach McDermott refused to continue the game because he said, with what's just happened to him, I'm going to be at the hospital. I can't be here to coach the game. And then the NFL people who are all about money took them a long time to agree that the coach was right. Shame on them. Should have been an easy decision. But how moving it is when you look at the players who were kneeling on the field. An unprecedented, an ESPN commentator prayed. Not a prayer to open the game, not a question, can we pray? He prayed because there was a life that was at stake. One of the things that is interesting is Hamlin is known, if you look at a lot of the pictures of him where he's dressed for a game, he has black crosses under both eyes. That's not an accident. That's because he believes in Jesus. And I believe that faith in Jesus paid off for him on Monday night. And here's the amazing thing. They didn't know would he be totally brain damaged if he lived? What would he be able to do or not be able to do? This was a statement that just came from him yesterday. This is directly from him after everything that's happened. The love has been overwhelming, but I'm thankful for every single person that prayed for me and reached out. We brung the world back together behind this. If you know me, you know this only gonna make me stronger. On a long road, keep praying for me. Wow. Wow. He had set up a toy drive to raise $2,500. So far, there's been $8 million that has come in this week. There's going to be a few toys that are going to get bought. What happened? That night, the coach made a decision. The general manager of the Bills, after that night, said, someone needs to be with this family the rest of the week. He set aside his responsibilities to be back in Buffalo. And stayed with the family this week. Decisions that were made because there was a determination were going the distance to see this man be raised back up. There's one that is the most exciting to me, and let me close with that today. 
last night was a wonderful privilege to me to be at the dedication of Prayer Works Fort Wayne. The main room, which I can't remember what they call it, the club, the GE club, which was a gymnasium auditorium that goes back to the long-term days of General Electric in that location, was filled to capacity of 500 people who came to dedicate the prayer works. The forum is kind of an open area that you can just kind of mill through in one area. And there's a big screen in there and there were people in that overflow. I was a part of that most of the evening. The prayer room itself, service was on the screen there. I was there for a while. But it was just phenomenal to watch as it had to have been at least 600 people had gathered in person besides those who were watching online. To see dedicated in what is the newest, most up-to-date idea of a marketplace in Fort Wayne. To see the dedication of what's in the middle of that. And it was fun in that forum because people were coming through there that had nothing to do with the prayer room. They were just out. They'd, they'd gone to the Union Market and eaten dinner. And now they were just walking through to see things. And you'd watch them come just stand and watch for a little while you begin to realize impact starting to happen. Gina Yell shared a story of when it opened for the first time Friday morning. There was a lady, because there's a branch of Parkview there, there was a lady looking for the Parkview office and didn't know where to go and ended up in the prayer room. And before it was over with, they were praying for the needs in her life and she was in tears. I don't know what all God's going to do with this, but I know it's going to be powerful. And you know, I still remember, because I was a part of the, what's called collaboration among churches, was a, was a small group of the Love Fort Wayne, where Chris Norman began to unpack to us, probably three years ago, this passion on his heart for there to be a 24-7 prayer room in the electric works. Initially, he was told no. But God knows what he's doing the largest tenant in that facility is do it best for the corporate office. And a lot of the folks at the top of do it best are very committed Christians. I don't know for sure what happened. All I know is this. Once they got in the equation and found out about it, all I know is that three months later he was told yes and not no. And today in the same building with do it best is this prayer room. There's already been things that have happened. We're a part of it. If you want to be a part, see Jim and Shirley, they're going to be heading our involvement. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to watch things happen because these have been prayed about for many years by intercessors in this city. There's been a place. And here's what I believe is true. I think in the same picture that I've just given you today of, of Isaiah 40:31, same thing is true. The outer court of this whole new prayer room is the electric works itself because it still intersects with the world. And yet here, the service was being held in the main auditorium and in that forum, it was being blasted on a big screen as people walked through. I believe that the holy place is the prayer room itself. It's neat. You got to go check it out. Go pray. And then the holy of holies in this is what stirs in the spirit when 24-7 prayer is being raised up as an incense to God. 
And I think there's going to be amazing things that happen in this city, in our nation, and in the world. And then there's us as a church. I'm running over time, and I'm so sorry. Could I have five more minutes? Let's see your hands. Five more. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Thank you. The challenge for us starts with this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I want you to think about what I've preached to you this morning and ask God to search in your heart how's it going to be different for you this year? How are you going to enter in to the Holy of Holies? How are you going to walk? How are you going to run? How are you going to soar for what God wants to do in personally? And if we do that personally, it's going to happen. There's things I want you to be praying with us about. This week, uh, Pastor Joe left today, and he's going to be at LPU this week because he's completing a master's degree in leadership. And I think that's so strategic for the future of what God's going to do in this church. So pray for him as he'll be on the campus this week there at LPU. I'll personally be in Dallas the last week of January for meetings with other Foursquare pastors and leaders. There's probably going to be, I don't know for sure, but about 40 or 50 of us. I would just ask you to pray. I'll be telling you more about what that's about later on. Then in February, Pastor Joe and I will be back in L.A. at the Foursquare Forum that's going to be held there at LPU. And uh, there's just good things. Now, here's the other thing. The last Sunday of this month... It's going to be a great day in this house because we're going to launch Generation Sunday from generation to generation. And I know I've been making a big deal out of this, but those of you who are empty nesters don't say, oh, that's the day the parents with their kids are going to be in church and I can stay home or go, well, you won't be going to the lake this time of year, but I'll be somewhere else. No, we need to all be here. Because we need to bring generations to generations. Because if what is happening in here doesn't impact what's happening down the hall, we'll lose what God wants to do for the future. You need to know this. Of the Gen Z, those that are about 25 and younger in America, only 4% have any idea who Jesus is. I want that to soak in with you. Only four percent but we serve the same god who took only four percent of non-cancer cells and turned them into a hundred percent in Libby's body i believe god wants to do a mighty outpouring in the gen z and that you and i are to be passing from generation to generation we need to be setting the stones on the bank with those kids and saying these stones represent what God did when we crossed the Jordan River, what we've watched God do. We need to be engaged and we need to be involved. Be praying. I believe God's got some incredible things he wants to do in us as a church so that it isn't just a group of older generation as a whole. I don't want any of you to go anywhere. We need you. But we still got lots of space to bring in all the generations. It was fun after church last Sunday. As you all know, we don't have kids that are little. And, and we're not planning on any kind of Abraham and Sarah miracle. <laughs> but I will tell you, it was kind of fun after church. Because we still had the little horns for New Year's that were out. 
And I listened as I was out in the foyer visiting with people, and all of a sudden I heard those horns just going to high heaven. And I looked over, and it was Pastor Joe's little girls. And I thought, God, let this house be filled with kids blowing the horns that break the silence. God wants to do amazing things. Are you willing to go the distance and see what God will do? Father, help us to be willing to do that. Do great and mighty things. Do exploits to your glory in and through us. And let Isaiah 40, 31 become alive in every one of us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.